I'm Lane Jackson. And I'm Hannah Adini. And this is Life Beyond. So this is the episode that I have been so excited to work on. Yeah, why is that? Well, as most of our users should know by now, on March 17th of this year, the story broke that Facebook had sold the data of over 87 million people to Cambridge Analytica, who then used it as leverage in the political campaigns for Ted Cruz, Donald Trump, Brexit, and even in the Mexican general election. Just 12 days prior to that, I was sitting in an auditorium here at the University of Texas listening to Siva Vedyanatha give a lecture on the topic of his most recent book, Anti-Social Media, How Facebook Disconnects People and Undermines Democracy. At this point, I was already well on my way to getting off social media for the second time around, I should add, but this absolutely kicked my ass into gear. So I remember going home that night and deleting my previously deactivated Facebook account. And um, that was kind of, that was it. That was the last time I was on social media. You know, I I hear you and I hear all of this, um, but honestly, social media has more benefits than we talk about. Like it's helped connect people to authorities during disasters like the Manchester attacks in May 2017. You know, the one that happened at um, Ariana Grande's concert as yeah. they were leaving? Yeah, yeah. That was, it was terrible. And I know for a fact that, like, the State Department had people on Twitter actively trying to connect, like, American citizens who were just there visiting abroad to an embassy center where they Whoa. could go. So that was Twitter, and that's social media, you know? And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, just social media connects people around the world on a regular basis. Like, I still Snapchat one of my best friends who's um, going to med school in India right now. And I, I, we, like, talk all the time. And that's incredible, considering she's 9,129 miles away. And I did have to look that number <laughs> I up. I was going to say. <laughs> but, yeah. So we do have to look at the benefits of social media. And there are some. There are definitely a lot. Like, we've talked about you talking to your family who lives in a different country. Obviously, like, you have to talk to them over the Internet and not over text message. But it also, I think that what we're lacking when we talk about social media is instead of the good, the bad, and the ugly, we need to talk about, like, proper use and how to use it for what it's good for and how to curb the bad use and... um, kind of take control over your use of social media. I appreciate that you said you don't want to take a hard stance about this, but I know for a fact that our first guest, Greg, definitely did. So let's take a listen to that. Howdy. I'm Greg. I'm 24 years old. I 3D print things for a living, and I have deleted almost all of my social media. So I worked at Facebook four years ago, back in the summer of 2014, uh, I was an intern doing, like, web dev out in uh, Silicon Valley. I didn't really, like, fully understand, like, the scope of data that Facebook had on me at the time. But, like, looking back, I'm like, whoa, okay. All right, then. That's alarming. And because Silicon Valley is su- such a bubble, they don't really experience, like, the full effects of it. And, like, getting away from that and seeing, like, how, like, fake it was and also, like, seeing like, where things were going and, like, and how, like, social media started to affect myself and other people around me in, like, very negative ways. Um, I became increasingly skeptical and, like, I feel like I am much better now at, like, seeing what Facebook it is for what it actually is and which is just, like, a, like, massive, like, money-making machine that doesn't care 
as long as it can make more money. It's like literally all designed to maximize the amount of money they can make by like exploiting your attention and getting to use the app as much as possible. Uh, there's a saying when I worked at Facebook is it's called the Facebook Event Horizon. It's that uh, it's the point at which uh, the newsfeed becomes like so in- engaging, uh, which is the, like the term of art for like getting your users addicted. The f- Facebook newsfeed would become so engaging the engineers would spend more time using the feed and like browsing it than actually like working on the on Facebook itself. <laughs> um, so like no work on Facebook could like proceed after that point, right? Because they the product is too addicting for their own like employees to use it. Um, <laughs> that should say something so right there. Yeah. yeah. So um, what would you say your relationship with technology is? My relationship with technology is complicated <laughs> i i see you're using terms that facebook has told us to use oh to describe God. relationships <laughs> uh no it's complicated because i work with like computers for a living but i hate computers um okay like with like a deep and like unending passion they are like little fuckers um they break all the time i don't know how the internet works honestly like it shouldn't work it's Literally, like, kept together with, like, duct tape. <laughs> like, it, it's, it's amazing. But, yeah, I used to be a lot more, like, gung-ho about, like, all the new stuff. And, like, but as time has gone on, I've gotten a lot more, like, cautious about it and also a lot more skeptical um, of, like, new stuff. For example, like, I, my garage door, like, has an app now. And I hate that like I don't want my garage door to be able to be accessed from an app I just want it to be a garage door I don't want it to do any more than that like I don't don't want to like complicate it like I'm incredibly incredibly uncomfortable with when people have like Alexas or like Google Homes in like the room like I'll literally sometimes like unplug it um, like sometimes I'll tell them or sometimes I'll ask them or sometimes I'll do it like surreptitiously like oops I wonder how that happened um, <laughs> and uh like, uh, yeah, just because it makes me uncomfortable to have, like, this always-on microphone listening in the room. Um, even though, I mean, we have those in our pockets all the time anyways. But, yeah, it's... And, like, I used to be way more addicted to my phone. I've, like, really cut down on that a lot, mostly by, like, purging a lot of apps. Yeah, I think there are a lot of misconceptions about the people who don't use social media, though, because a lot of people think that someone who doesn't use social media must be like completely tech illiterate. They're not using it because they don't know how or they're, you know, they have some strong stance against it because they've never been on it and seen its wonders. Um, But actually, I don't think that's the case. Like most of my friends who use social media less than other people are equally so or even more so like tech literate and just intimately familiar with it because they know like the good that it can do and they also know the harm that it can do. So the internet itself is fundamentally about communication like from individual people. Like you can communicate with anyone else on the internet um, as long as you're connected to the network. The basis of the internet is literally designed around like everyone communicating more and connecting more, right? But like Software and internet technology in general is generally mostly about connecting people. Email is about connecting people. And when you say connecting people, you just mean people talking to each other, right? Because that's what humans do. 
And so, like, I think we can all agree, I mean, even though email has become terrible now, like, it is hugely useful in connecting people and all these things. But email is also not designed to make money. That's why no one can kill email. All these companies trying to defeat email are trying to compete while also trying to make money. And email doesn't have to make money. It just has to work. Therefore, like, the email will be around long past we're all dead, as horrifying as it is to say. I guess my point is, is that communicating over the internet is generally a good thing. I mean, there are lots of like really awful people in the world and they use it to do like less great things, but you can have really, really positive things like Wikipedia, which is all like free and like not ad supported and a nonprofit and like actually dedicated to the good of humanity. Or you can have Facebook, which is like this giant monster designed to make as much money as possible. And so it generally like connecting people is a good thing but it's if you like actually use that for like the better or if you pervert it towards something like money. Um, what does your day-to-day life look like without social media? Like when you wake up in the morning, you know, you don't check Instagram or Facebook. What do you do throughout the day? Uh, so my current addiction that I'm like working on breaking right now is to Hacker News. And so I, I read a lot in general, um, especially like articles online. It's actually a really bad habit of mine. And I'm like trying to cut down on that because... I've kind of replaced a lot of my idle social media browsing with like reading articles about interesting things, but ultimately kind of pointless things that I don't really need to know. <laughs> so it's just more noise, right? And like I'm trying to clean the noise out of my life. But no, I mean, I'll, I text people a lot all the time, but like that's way more intentional than something like Facebook. Like I don't really browse feeds of what people are doing anymore, but I still communicate with people all the time. So then would you say that you use your phone a lot less? Oh, yeah, definitely. It's I use my phone so much less. And why is that a good thing, in your opinion? Because it's distracting and, like, I'm trying to focus more on the things that I want to do. And it's, I mean, it's just harder to focus when you're constantly being interrupted all the time. So, yeah, so as someone who, like, uses all the social media, I just can't wrap my head around the fact that, honestly, both of you, like, hardly use social media at all. What are some of the reactions that you get from people that you're talking to when you say that, like, you don't have social media? Like, if you meet somebody new and they want to, like, oh, let me add you on Facebook, how do you go about mm-hmm. talking to them? Or, like, how do you feel? Like, what are their reactions? <laughs> well, the funniest thing is people's reactions are really congruent over the different things in my life that other people find weird. They react in very similar ways when they find out, like, I don't have social media or that I'm a vegan. People... Like the same thing when we're, I'm with a group of friends and we're deciding to go out to eat. People will be like, oh, well, Lane has to decide because she's a vegan. And then same thing with like social. Yeah, exactly. Same thing with social media, though. Like when we're trying to make a group chat or we're trying to figure out what to do or trying to communicate, it'll always be like, oh, well. Well, we have to do it this way because Lane isn't on social media. And it's like the same exact reaction. (laughs) And it's always like such an inconvenience for other people. I feel like it is. Um, And to some extent, that's true. Like it is probably inconvenient for people to, you know, not be able to go to a steakhouse that literally only serves steak when they're going out to dinner with me. But then to another extent, you know, I'll meet you halfway. I'm not asking you to delete your Facebook app and only talk in smoke signals. We can text. (laughs) That That would be really cool. But, you know, city limits. Of course. Yeah. Take a while. (laughs) So about maybe like 
three-ish years ago, maybe in like 2014, 2013, everyone had a Facebook, and if you didn't, it was just like, what? Like, you literally, like, as someone who had Facebook, I didn't really understand it. And, like, so I kind of get where you're coming from. It's like, whoa, like, how do you just function, like, like get stuff done because you use it in so many aspects of your mm-hmm. day. And as time has gone on, especially recently, me saying that, oh, I don't have Facebook or, oh, I don't have Instagram or, oh, I don't have Twitter has gotten to, like, a lot less kind of, like, shock and to the point where people yeah. don't even really, really care anymore, mm-hmm. which is actually a really, really nice development. Like, I get people's phone numbers now instead of, like, adding them on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And people don't, like, ask me immediately for Facebook anymore. They just ask me for my phone number, which I prefer. So people are getting used to it. I yeah, say. I mean, it's kind of like the whole vegetarian thing. It's becoming more commonplace, so it's not as direct of an othering thing anymore. You know, it's not like, well, we have to accommodate you with everything we do, and it's a sense of frustration. It's more of like, oh, yeah, you're one of those people who doesn't have it. Okay, mm-hmm. like, let's get phone numbers instead. Yeah, I'm Lane. I'm a vegan, and I don't have Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wrap my mind around how people still go through their days using so many different social medias and because like you can't wrap yours around how we do it without the main ones Mm -hmm. um like I don't know what I would get done if I was constantly being distracted by them still how do you concentrate like yeah oh it's real hard are they (laughs) it's real hard yeah whenever I'm studying I'll have to like put my phone like face down away from me I had um our life beyond like Twitter and Instagram app on my phone for what was it four days probably four days and yeah no I had to delete it because I couldn't figure out like I was having to jump through rings of fire to try to turn off the notifications that I didn't want to see that's a dark pattern and it didn't work like it just didn't work so I was like you know what screw this I'm gonna delete it I can't have this if if you get frustrated and you keep see yourself like falling back into the old patterns just remind yourself that it it's not your fault. Yeah. Like these companies, again, are like exploiting these quirks and like human psychology to keep you coming back. Dark patterns are like ways in which that you can like design a website, like design the layout of the page and like how you like kind of like contextualize like what's happening and in such a way to like make users like do things that they would not otherwise do. Facebook has, like, made more money in, like, a shorter period of time than, like, almost all other companies in history. Like, they are phenomenally good at doing what they do. It's just that what doing what they do also has, like, really bad outcomes on, like, actual people. Facebook has operated outwardly on a mission of connectivity between others, as if the sole reason that Facebook and other forms of social media exist is to connect you, the user, to the rest of the world. But there is an abundance of social commentary on why that is not exactly the case. A lot of very credible people, tech wizards and armchair academics alike, are coming out and warning society of the underlying evils of these corporations and their true motivators for existing to connect us. Throughout the media coverage of all these security breaches and data mining stories, we hear it discussed over and over that something is wrong that social media bore unprecedented and unimaginable consequences. But the most resounding thing that I heard in that lecture hall back in March from Professor Siva Vaidyanatha was that Facebook is not broken. In other words, nothing went wrong. 
nothing went wrong in the months and days leading up to 87 million people's data being sold to Cambridge Analytica by Facebook. Facebook was operating exactly how it was designed to. And that's what scares me about social media. I know that it works, and I know that it works extremely well. Okay, Lane. Anyway, up next we have Carrie Stevens, who's going to talk to us about the usefulness and downfalls of social media. If you could just introduce yourself and give your name and title and a description of your work. Sure. So I'm Carrie Stevens, and I'm an associate professor here at the University of Texas, and I'm in an area called organizational communication and technology. So the type of research that I do is how do people use technology to communicate um, and to organize in groups, at work, um, and my most recent work is around disaster communication. So I read that a lot of your work is centered around social media. Mm -hmm. uh, could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so the disaster work that I've done in particular has been very focused around how people use social media to do what we call call for help. In other words, how did they post a call on social media saying, I need to be rescued, um, there's a problem, uh, especially in these disaster contexts like what happened in Hurricane Harvey. Yeah, so in the, um, in the conversations with Greg, we talked a lot about how fluid the term social media is and how it can be used to define a lot of things. Like you said, text message, and we were talking about email and online chess. Yeah. Um, so how would you generally define social media? Yeah, so I do define it pretty broadly, and um, you can get into the academic terms of what's the difference between a social networking site and a social medium, um, but for me, I look at, it, look at it as a place where we can put content primarily publicly, uh, or at least not just interpersonally, where people can exchange ideas, share information, comment. I think commenting is a very big deal. Uh, if it's just a one-way broadcast, you just have a website. I think that's so interesting because as someone who has a lot of social media, I would not consider a, a, like a text group message mm -hmm. to, be, to be considered social media. That's so bizarre to me. Like I feel like only an online platform, like a Facebook, Twitter kind of thing, really constitutes yeah. is what, yeah, I don't know. That's really interesting that you defined it that way. Yeah, I think most people would define it that way. Um, and the only reason that I said sometimes I would put a group chat in or group text message into that is when you get a huge group, it starts to feel public. It doesn't feel like an interpersonal private conversation anymore. Yeah, and it, it can be just as overwhelming as, say, hopping on Facebook when you have 37 notifications on your phone after 15 minutes of a group <laughs> chat. That's exactly right. That's what my students tell me. You know, when we have these conversations in class and I'm like, why can you not just stay off of it long enough for a class? And I'll never forget one student explained to me one year that you get punished when you do that. Because if someone wants to reach you and you don't get right back to them, they then start bombarding you with a ton of messages through every kind of channel imaginable. Yeah. And it would be so much faster just to quickly glance down and go, lunch, yes, I'll go to noon with you, you know, or mention some type of a restaurant and close that conversation down. Yeah, definitely. My mom has been on my case about that a million times about, well, you didn't answer. Well, okay, mom, it's been 15 minutes, but she's already called my two best friends and my roommates by that t chance. I hear that a whole lot, too. Yeah. Um, which apps and websites do you generally 
define as social media or think of um, in your work with social media? Yeah. So one of the things that we did in our project is we deliberately did not predefine social media for the people that we interviewed in Hurricane Harvey. Instead, what we said, how did you ask for help? And tell us about this. And I think that that was really, in retrospect, a pretty smart move because people would then come back and say, well, I used WeChat, for example. I used WhatsApp. I used Facebook. Um, People spontaneously volunteered what kind of platforms they were using to issue calls for help. And then one of the neat things we were able to do as part of our research protocol is ask people to show us what that looked like. And so then they would pull up their private social media feeds and say, this is what I posted. This is a picture of what I posted. And we would actually be able to ask them questions around, did that get you rescued? Um, Why did you decide to post that the way that you did? So we have a lot of insight into people's more private social media. What's interesting, I think, about our study is that not a lot of people showed us what they posted on Twitter. Now, a lot of times their friends were posting on Twitter for them on their behalf. And so what we see in this particular study is that social media is very broadly defined and people are using primarily more either more more connections. It's more of a social networking tool than it is what you might call generically social media. And they were relying on their personal networks to then tell other people to come rescue them and to let them know what, where their address was and what they needed help with. Hmm. And then we actually had one younger gentleman show us the Snapchats that he sent to his friend as he was walking through the water. Um, he dropped his phone and lost it, but he had uploaded everything to the cloud. So he was able to pull it back down and share with us what the experiences w- was like in Snapchat data. And I never imagined we would get Snapchat data, but we did. I'm trying to mm-hmm. find something that I wrote about a year ago. Mm-hmm. I had an internship with the Department of State. So I worked for the um, the HR Bureau in Strategic Communication, mm. and I interviewed um, a department that was using social media to help in, like, evacuation kind of scenarios. Wow. And they used Twitter. Yeah. The way that it worked was we're all centered in D.C., and I think it was probably 2015 or 2016. I think there was... A terrorist attack in mm-hmm. uh, London. Yep. And but what at least the Department of State was concerned about was all the like bureaucrats and all the American citizens that are there. Yeah. And so they were posting on Twitter mm-hmm. and like retweeting the local like London police and to contact and get in touch with American citizens and be like, hey, this is happening and you guys can go to the embassy. Like mm-hmm. you guys need to find the embassy and this is like what you need to do. And Twitter actually like saved a lot of lives that yeah. day. And I think it's that just reminded me when you said that yeah. everyone was using like WhatsApp and WeChat mm-hmm. and Snapchat, yeah. but not Twitter. Yeah. So um, in a in an event like that, Twitter's really the only way to use. Yeah. It's the it's gonna be the dominant way that you could use that because if people know the hashtags to search or if things are trending, you can actually find this is a widespread. It's like having a great big megaphone and being able to shout and just about anybody can hear you on Twitter. The difference is on Facebook, especially these pri- these more private groups, there could be a group of 150 people that you have or 500 friends, you know, that are around you. But that's still a more intimate group than having that big megaphone and shouting to everybody. 
And so it makes sense. Twitter is very valuable, and Twitter was used extensively during Hurricane Harvey. It was just used differently. So, I mean, it's not likely that you're going to have emergency responders on your personal Facebook feeds. Few people do, actually. Some people (laughs) on our data set did. However, they can post something on Twitter, and then anyone can access that information. And so Twitter has very good functionality from that standpoint. The big problem is it's like finding a needle in a haystack. Yeah. You know, I don't know how much time you've spent with Twitter, but you could lose half your life just spending time scrolling through trying to figure out what hashtags people are posting under. And so sometimes it works beautifully, and then sometimes it feels like you're on a fishing expedition. And that that kind of brings me into my opinion that people grossly misuse social media. Um, So when we're talking about the different, like the nuanced uses of each social media platform, um, that just reminds me of how outsider looking in, I I really do think people like misuse their time all the time on social media because these things definitely have uses. Um, And like you were saying, they have very particular uses and, um, so I don't know. What do you what do you think about all this, Hannah? I think social media can be strongly misused, but I also think in situations like Hurricane Harvey and terrorist attacks and mm-hmm. with the whole embassy, like what I was talking about, um, I think social media can be really beautiful in a way because that's how people come together. And yeah, it is like shouting into the it's like screaming into the void. Twitter especially is screaming into the void, um, but. <laughs> People can hear you, and if you kind of know how to use social media well enough, I feel like you can find the information that you're looking for. You stay aware of what's happening. So what is the biggest misconception when it comes to social media? Oh, boy. I don't know that I have one specific big misconception. Or what are all the misconceptions? (laughs) Yeah. Um... So if I put it in some of the different contexts that I've studied, that's probably where I know it the best. Um, One big misconception is people don't know who's actually looking at what they've posted. And I think that a lot of times we have these imagined audiences, and that may or may not be true. And I think that's a big misconception that people have. The other thing is that the research that's coming out right now on habits, people are completely unaware of how much time they're spending on social media. And um, the and a lot of the apps are building some things in where they'll tell you your screen time went up this week or went down this week. And what I find fascinating about that is that they're incomplete and that, that data is not necessarily representative of what you're actually doing on your device. It just says you were on your device. You were on a screen. So I think that's also a big misconception. You might not be on social media that much. That could give people excuses to say, well, it's not a problem because it just misunderstands me. So I think that's also a misconception. And then I think privacy is really important. And I think people should make decisions about what they're willing to put out there. Um, And I don't think a lot of people are aware at how widely their information gets spread. So one of the things that concerns me in the disaster context with that is people posted their addresses. 
And yes, they needed to get rescued. But in normal times, would we do that? You know, would we would we post that out there to our friends and family? And I think some people actually would. And some people are like, I'm traveling in Detroit this week. I'm going to be staying at this hotel. If any of my friends on Facebook want to come find me, come find me. I think that's so bizarre when people do that, when people check in everywhere yeah. on Facebook. I'm like, that's so dangerous. I, mm-hmm. I teach a unit in all my in all my classes when we talk about technology about privacy. And so I think that is a huge misconception. People do not understand um, what is private, what isn't private. And a lot of people haven't taken the time to say, what do I care about? Because it, it's different for everybody. And I don't think we can dictate privacy. I think it's a personal decision that people make. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that kind of goes into the next question, which is, What's your biggest problem with social media um, in regards to people's security online? Yeah, I would say the biggest problem is once you've posted something out there, you have no control over what other people do, including Snapchat data. Um, I mean, as evidenced by the gentleman who pulled his Snapchats down and was able to show us from Hurricane Harvey, um, people think that those are fleeting and they're not going to be captured. And if, if someone's mad at you or they think something you said is funny... Uh, or possibly borderline inappropriate, and they screenshot that, it's there forever. And so I think most people don't get that and don't understand that you put something out there and you have no control over where it goes. It is no longer private information once it's out there. Could you talk a little bit more about the threat of like both of the side or both of the scales of yeah. the security threats? Yeah. So, um, I published a book this last year on mobile communication. And um, as part of that book, I did a lot of research on people's work practices, and they bring their own device to work. And so there's these policy and security issues with workplaces. First of all, most people don't have a clue that they've signed a document saying that if they lose their personal mobile phone and it contains any company data, a lot of companies have the right to just wipe your phone at a distance. And you've signed off and you've given those rights away, but you were reading it so fast or skimmed it and checked that button, you don't even realize you've signed away that right. So there are legitimate security issues that organizations have with carrying around personal data on a mobile phone. And I'll tell you how to make this practical for the individual. Um, I don't put my, I don't have Apple Pay. I don't put my credit card information on my personal phone. That scares the crap out of me because I don't know that I'm responsible enough. I might lose my phone. I might drop my phone. Um, I just don't trust that I can keep my phone secure enough. We just don't think about the fact of how many people have access to our personal information on even our mobile phones not to mention the fact what we post up on social media. And so I think that security issues um, are something we need to become more aware of. And it's linked very closely with privacy. A lot of that is personal, but a lot of it's awareness of what am I putting out there? What can people find out about me? I don't ever do the check-in thing either. I post after I return from a trip, not while I'm in a trip. Um, And even though we feel like we have a fairly tight control in social media over who our friends are, when our networks grow so big, we don't necessarily know who is seeing what at what time. And I also think you cannot 
talk about social media without talking about mobile phones because that's where most people are accessing their social media through today. And so privacy and security issues between both a physical kind of device and also this place where we put information, um, that's going to that's gonna give us lots of, as a researcher, it's just exciting because I'm not going to run out of things to study. It's fascinating. And people's <laughs> behavior around how they're using all this is really interesting, too. Okay, Hannah, I have to admit, you were somewhat right. <laughs> <laughs> I guess social media isn't as evil as I came into this podcast uh, thinking that it was. I mean, there are a lot of useful things that social media does for us. When used correctly, it can be a really powerful tool. It can connect us to emergency responders. It can keep us talking with family who lives all the way across the world. It can even send us photos of cute dogs and cats that are couple states away is that not the best use of social media that is yeah no Arguably why so. i miss it <laughs> but in all seriousness there are some really good things about social media and i had lost sight of them and i'm just now remembering them so my biggest takeaway from this has been to stop demonizing people who are caught up in their Snapchat stories or on their Twitter feeds. That because feels personally. <laughs> I feel personally attacked. <laughs> no, I mean, y'all have a reason that you're on there. It's not just the mindlessness that I used to think of when I saw people on their phones. Not that I don't mindlessly play chess on my phone all the time. <laughs> but people have a reason to be using social media. So it was just... Good to be reminded of that so I can get off my uh, soapbox about <laughs> anti-social media. Well, before we go ahead and, you know, pat social media on the back. Oh, no, you know super I wouldn't wholesome try to do that. Great. <laughs> um, definitely something I'm still thinking about is how we talked to somebody who used to work at Facebook and who doesn't anymore and was so concerned about all the data mining that's happening. Like, yeah, we yeah. read that in, um, you know, we read, we, read, we read about that online, but this was, this was different, you know? Like, Greg was talking to us about that, and it's not like I wasn't thinking about it tangibly when the story broke out in um, March, mm -hmm. but I don't think I had to actually think about it, think about it in the sense that this organization, this platform that has so much of my information isn't just holding it, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like using it and selling it to people. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's not just sitting there it's dusty not just sitting in there. a file cabinet Yeah, somewhere. people are looking at it, mm -hmm. and that's terrifying. Mm -hmm. That is terrifying to me. Yeah. You know, you can read a number on, you know, online, but uh, you are that number. Yeah. You know, this yeah, is happening really. to us. This isn't a conspiracy theory, mm -hmm. which is what it feels like sometimes. Maybe, you know, maybe deep down that's why me and I know a lot of other people obviously weren't kind of taking this as like a, I don't want to say a real threat, but sort of. We weren't considering it as a real threat. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, this is, this is very real and this is happening and we need to do something about this. So tune in next week to Life Beyond. We talk about how the moon landing was staged. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in to this first season of Life Beyond. 
We would love to take a second to thank everyone that helped us launch this season. We would also like to thank our guests of this episode, social media, Greg and Carrie Stevens. I'll be sure to tweet out a link to the article I wrote about for the State Department that I was talking about earlier, um, as well as tweet out some other useful links that relate to what we talked about today. These will also be shared on our website, lifebeyondcast.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, which is ironic because this is our social media episode, <laughs> but be sure to follow us at lifebeyondcast so you don't miss any of our updates. And if you liked hearing us talk about things that we think are interesting, don't forget to subscribe. That wraps up our first season of Life Beyond. If you have suggestions for our next season and what topics you want to hear from us, please tweet them, Instagram, DM us, email us, hop on our website. Just let us know in some way so that we can talk about them. We want to know what you think is interesting, and we want to see what we can learn about that. We'll see you all in the spring.